Here we go. Jake and Josh are here to analyze the game they love for the team they love. This is another Dolphins Podcast. Here's your host, Jake Mendel and Josh Houts. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of another Dolphins Podcast. There is plenty to get to today as the combine is set to begin later this afternoon. That must mean it's only right to have a cat and house show. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Uh, doing good. Yeah, ready for the combine. 40 times, uh, bench press, all that stuff. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's really getting into the guts of the offseason here, especially with free agency, what, two weeks away? Yeah, it's going good. I'm right now, my oldest is at school, so my other two kids are here with me. So it's complete disarray, so... One of my favorite things to do, especially during the offseason, when things slow down just slightly here in this 24-7 news cycle that is the NFL, is kind of look at some lessons learned throughout the year. We do this so many different ways, so many times we come on here and podcast. I want to make sure we know what's happening here and what's going on. So, Kat, I wanted to ask you, um, over the next two, three days, there's going to be some people who are going to try to make some college prospects uh get paid quite a bit of money based on how well they do at the combine. Um, I always think about that historic performance from John Ross a couple of years ago uh, in the 40 time, I should say, I should clarify that. Um, but are there any combine um, stories that really stick out to you in like the past five years about someone maybe kind of stealing the show? And if that really produces come time to play in the NFL, you know, the combine is usually for confirming things you've already seen and, college football among those players i mean if a cornerback runs a four six instead of a four four then i think at that point you have to go back and you have to look at the game tape you have to look at their individual workouts and then at that point it really starts to matter i mean uh like for just going back into recent dolphins examples i mean uh andrew van ginkle is a good is a good one uh where in 2019 he was uh really regarded as an undrafted free agent And then he tests out uh, a little bit bigger, a little bit faster, running a four, five, three, and does much better in the three cone drill and everything like that. Did like a 38, five or something like that in the three cone drill. And all of a sudden he moves from a late rounder into, you know, the fourth or fifth round range. And then the dolphins end up taking him and the rest is history. So those are the types of things that, that you look for, when it comes to the um, combine as well as the pro days. Yeah, I think I heard most of that. My kids, again, disarray. So if I just fade in and out, that's what that is. But um, it is a time when you sit there and you can, um, you know, check your notes and see which players you may have, have seen, you know, early on in the, the process and then to check and see which players you may have missed. So um, it'll be exciting to see the way these guys go out there and work and, um, you know, ultimately to see which way the Dolphins, uh, what direction they go, right? Kat, I have a list of 29 running backs here that will all take part in the combine. And it's safe to say it's pretty easy to get caught up in all the different names. Maybe someone catches your eye and you get really stuck with them. Uh, but I think you shared an interesting interesting stat on uh, Twitter X the other day about how you're feeling about when these uh, running backs might get selected that I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, and if you look at the running backs drafted, uh, I mean, really – the last 40, 50 years. I mean, <laughs> because running backs have gotten less relevant as far as uh, how they're projected as, as draft prospects over the last few years. But since I've been watching the draft, following the draft, however you want to describe that over the last 25 years, 
the latest or the the latest first running back that was drafted was 2013, Giovanni Bernard, 37th overall. So every year there has been a running back drafted in the first 37 picks. I will promise you that no running back will be drafted in the first 37 picks this year. And when you look at the class here, it's got a lot of depth throughout the, you know, fourth through sixth rounds. But I, I, it wouldn't be a surprise to me if no running back was drafted in the first uh, two rounds of the NFL draft. Right now, I believe the consensus number one guy is Marshawn Lloyd from USC, a really well-rounded back from USC. Um, the best comparison I've seen from him is uh, is DeAndre Swift. He's kind of that big overall um, guy that can possibly get downhill. He, he kind of goes east to west more than he should but is a versatile back. He's big. He's, you know, 5'10", 210 pounds. If he were to go anywhere in the first two rounds, then he would, he would have to go to the right team. But, you know, I, other than that, I don't see any running back being drafted in the first two rounds. And I think I know the answer to this, but do you see that because of it being a weak running back class or do you see that because of, you know, all the potential other players, those other positions that teams are going to covet? Because let's be honest, um, like you said, I mean, you can see it, whether it's a free agent trying to cash in or it's, you mentioned draft capital, things like that. These running backs are getting, I think, undervalued as a, as a franchise, uh, a fantasy guy, I kind of always have looked at running back position as a premier position, but um, it doesn't seem like the NFL does. So do you see it because of that running back unit in the draft class just being that weak and because of those other players, other positions being stronger, or, or how do you see that shaping up? Overall, it's a week, just a weak running back class. And that would have applied to any season in the last 30 years. Um, you know, and that's not to say when the Dolphins get into the fifth, sixth, seventh round where they've got, you know, four picks in those final three rounds that there's not going to be a good player there. But, yeah, it's it's a weak running back class. And as a general rule of thumb, I don't think it's good to draft a running back in this day and age in the first 20 picks unless they're truly special. I mean, just go back to last year where – you know, Bijan Robinson, he's drafted eighth overall. And, you know, he's regarded as this generational talent, but then he gets to the Falcons and he barely plays half the snaps. Where you look at Jameer Gibbs, who was the second running back taken, uh, the Lions really had, you know, their quarterback in place. They had both offensive tackles in place. They had Agent Aiden Hutchinson at defensive end. They had a lot of things in place to where Jameer Gibbs could really thrive. So, you know, as it applies to the Dolphins, I think it's more of a later round type of look. And something to consider, too. I mean, go over to Sport Track and you start looking at the running backs who are about to hit free agency in a couple of weeks. Derrick Henry, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, Tony Pollard, Austin Eckler, Gus Edwards had like a bajillion touchdowns. Devin Singletary stole the show with the Texans. So if you really wanted to kind of hype yourself up on a specific running back, I think you could. Um, one, the Dolphins don't have that third or fourth round draft pick where it makes it, their decisions a little more limited on top of that, the cap space as well. Uh, but come this weekend, Kat, who are some of the other running backs you think that could steal the show? Maybe like a Jonathan Brooks from Texas, uh, Trey Benson from Florida State uh, has forced a bunch of missed tackles in recent years. So is there anyone who you think could really just um, maybe steal hearts as one of those guys that um, I don't care how I want them on my team? Yeah, after... Mar Marshawn Lloyd 
and Jonathan Brooks, who are the consensus top two backs. I really think there's very little separating the third running back from like the, the 12th running back. Um, but Jonathan Brooks uh, from Texas is somebody that tore his ACL in, in his 10th game last year, uh, was averaging, you know, gosh, over six yards a carry, but was really looking like that tall, linear overall just complete running back, uh, but then he tore his ACL. So we'll, we'll see what the medicals uh, do on that. And that's such a big part of, of the combine too. And the, But after that, I mean, the one guy that I, I like, I tend to like more than everybody else is, is Braylon Allen from Wisconsin. Um, six foot two, 245 pounds. And this guy just turned 20 years old last month. And you're talking about somebody who at that size, at 6'2", 245, can move like that and also has uh, 20 100-plus yard games under his belt at Wisconsin. So he's got the youth, he's got the size, and he brings a little bit extra to the table that a lot of these other running backs don't have. You know, right now he's projected kind of in that fourth, fifth round area, but if if I were to pick one guy that I say I like more than everybody else, it's probably Braylon Allen. So I'm interested to see how he tests out athletically too. Yeah, it's interesting because it always seems like there's a, a good running back coming out of Wisconsin, doesn't it? Um, You mentioned Jonathan Brooks, uh, averaging, I believe, what, you said six point, I have written down two point yards per carry, 1,139 yards, 10 touchdowns. I feel like when I went back and looked at B. John Robinson throughout the draft process last year, there were times when you almost thought Jonathan Brooks was a similar type back, right? I mean, it sucks that he got hurt, so um, it'll be interesting the way they weigh that throughout the draft process. Um, another name I would written down, Bucky Irving. What were your thoughts on him? I mean, this is a guy who I was telling Jake, um, I think he has two back-to-back 1,000-yard season. But before this, I was saying to Jake Hell, it seems like he's been around in college for a little bit now. Speedy guy, a little change of pace there. But um, what are your thoughts on Bucky Irving, 5'10", 189, 21 years old, uh, had 1,180 yards, and then also 56 catches last season. So an all-around back, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I thought in that Oregon offense, he caught a lot of passes that were dump-offs. He makes a lot of use out of his space. And – if the Dolphins commit to that type of running back on dump offs, then I think he could be very, very useful and maybe even available in the fifth or si- fifth or sixth round. I don't expect him to test out very well athletically. I think he's a better football player than he has than he is an athlete. So, uh, unless he runs a four four, which I don't expect, I expect him to be available uh, in that fifth sixth round area. But uh, definitely, definitely a good football player can can catch the football he's averaged at least 3.9 yards per carry per attempt excuse me read that very wrong he's averaged at least 3.9 yards after contact per attempt and forced at least 63 missed tackles in each of the last two seasons uh cat how do you walk the fine line of um not the biggest draft head in the world but uh oregon is one of the schools you instantly snap your fingers they have a great offensive line so how do you kind of walk this line as cause of effect as someone who um, might not have the great big book of everything well, it's, I mean, Oregon is a, is, is a school where it's kind of easy to make decisions at quarterback and running back. Uh, Bo Nix, you know, 45 touchdowns, three interceptions last year. Bucky Irving, you know, is somebody who is a good football player, slippery when somebody tries to get their hands on him. But is he somebody that I project as a franchise running back? No. So yeah, the, the school that you go to has a lot to do. The question you have to ask yourself is Bucky Irving. If he went to uh, Western Kentucky, would this guy be on the map? 
And that's what the combine kind of sets apart. And that's what we're going to see here over the next few days. What about the Notre Dame back, Jake? Do you want to throw out how he, how he pronounce his name? I mean, I, we want to get your thoughts on him. I feel like he's more well-rounded, 5'11", 227 pounds. Aldrich Estime, you can tell me how messed up I did with that. But um, what are your thoughts uh, on him? Because I feel Aldrich like he's more Estime well-rounded. Had a, um, he, he was a workhorse this past year. He had 1,300-plus uh, you know, yards. He is a low-to-the-ground running back. I'm not his biggest fan, to be quite honest, because I think he's a power. He's just strictly a power back. Uh, and when I look at how that relates to the Dolphins, do I think that he's going to be he would be better than a Chris Brooks, who's already been in the system for a year? I, I don't think so. I think he'd be a good back for another team, but not for the Dolphins for that reason. Is there another running back or two that you're kind of afraid that the Dolphins might eat that cheese and fall into the trap of maybe this guy doesn't fit our mold, even though he's a great player? I've got a few other names, but to be honest with you, if we're talking about um, Devon Achan, Raheem Mostert, and Chris Brooks as the Dolphins' top three backs, I'm good with that. And from that point, if a Braylon Allen falls to the fifth round, if a Frank Gore Jr., who I like a lot, falls to the fifth round, who I like more than other people, um, then that might be a little bit tempting. And it also needs to be considered in this type of show, too, that um, the Dolphins had four picks last year. Two of them were running back and tight end, um, Elijah Higgins and, and Devon Achan. Uh, so, but, you know, I see just about all of these running backs that we've talked about going somewhere between pick 55 for the Dolphins in the second round and their fifth round pick. You may see 10 running backs go in between them, but none taken in the top 55. And you're mentioning it. I mean, I don't know that any of us can sit here and say that we really need to add a running back to this unit, right? I mean, we're sitting here feeling pretty confident in what we have as long as um, they can stay healthy. Um, I guess I was going to ask you um, your thoughts on this, cat. If uh, Devon Achan was in this draft class, where would you rank him? Would he be that RB1 for sure? Yes, no doubt about it. Uh, and that's not revisionist history or anything. Uh, he's somebody that at the beginning of day of day two last year, the beginning of the second round, he was number 11 on my board that, that year, no running back would have been number 11 this year um, from this class. And again, I think Marshawn Lloyd is the best running back from this class, but um, no, I mean, to me, HN provided something special Four three two speed, the only running back over the last uh, 13 years that provided that type of speed uh, at the running back position that was projected in the first three rounds. I don't see anywhere near that type of talent in this running back class, even though there, there are going to be a few uh, mid round guys that, that really justify their value. The way the dolphins use their running back group is so damn interesting. You had Raheem Mostert lead the league in rushing touchdowns while Devon H and averaged, you know, 7.5 yards per carry. Uh, he had 10 targets against the Titans. They were really trying to find different ways to get these guys on the field. And it was great to see that someone who has a different play style, like Chris, Brooks can come in and really thrive. Uh, based on this group, though, the Dolphins were a team that actually had a really balanced offense. I think they were like 19th in pass rate somewhere in there. Where do you think Jeff Wilson winds up? Because, yes, the Dolphins are currently $30 million over the salary cap, but we've heard a lot about how much McDaniel loves him as a leader. The Dolphins traded a fifth-round pick for him, and, yes, the Dolphins need to clear up $30 million in cap space, but Jeff Wilson's cap hit is just 1.4% of the 
total cap next year. Cat, I already know what you're going to say, but is there any chance just for the sake of continuity and depth that for a Mike McDaniel crew, it'd be nice to have someone like Jeff Wilson for 1.5% of your cap? No, cut him. Get rid of him. He's out. Um, <laughs> listen, um, to be a leader, you have to have people that follow you. Uh, you're not going to follow a fourth running back. I mean, I, I, look, I, I think he's actually – he's going to be a good value for somebody that's going to use him a little bit more. But somebody that had 190-something snaps last year, um, now he's probably going to be better used somewhere else. And the Dolphins need to scrap together every dollar they, they can um, in an offseason like this. And I think Jeff Wilson, Mike White – Keon Cross and those types of guys need need to be cut uh, to create as much room as possible. Yeah, when you're in the cap situation, the Dolphins are, and you're trying to open every you know piggy bank you have laying around the house, trying to figure out what you can cash in. You're trading your old PlayStation and this and that. So, I I, I mean, I look like Edward Scissorhands, so I'm just gonna say right off the bat, just cut him, right? Cut cut Jeff Wilson, save that little bit of uh, money that you can get there, and then. Um, I don't know. I, I like what Chris Brooks brings to the table. You can find that production elsewhere, and then we don't have to worry about him getting those uh, pass reps, right, Jake? We've been complaining about that for a few um, months now. So, yeah, I would cut him for sure. Switching the script here over to the tight end position. Kat, I put Josh through a little bit of a test here uh, before we started, and, and I wanted to see how would you do. Um, the Dolphins selected Mike Kosicki with the second-round pick in the 2018th NFL draft. Who would they select at tight end before that? Uh, who did the Dolphins select or who was selected? Who was the last tight end the Dolphins selected before Gesicki? Ooh, uh, I could give you the was year. It, was like. it Deion Sims? No, there's actually oh. uh, two, oh. two between Sims and uh, Gesicki. Oh man. So hold on. I said uh, Ignu. I said Ignu. If it, it makes sense. Ignu, Ignu was 2012. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Jake uh, hit me with that over the head. 2014, that I'm just, uh, 20, oh, 26. Uh, it must've been a seventh round pick. Seventh round pick. Oh man, it is okay that you don't know some of these names. No, no, I no, I don't know that name. Once you hear Thomas Duarte out of UCLA, that's right. Josh actually got that part too. He's like, "Yep, knew right away." He was a. I don't know how I remember the UCLA part, but nothing else registered. (laughs) How about 2014 fifth round pick was also a tight end. Uh, So impressed if he gets this. Damn, Uh, John Nalbone. Nope. He was one so, of them, though, right? Wasn't he somewhere around there? Jordan, no, that was oh, that was that was in the Sperano days. I know Jordan Tripp. So, That's the hint. Nice. Jordan Tripp was a fifth rounder. Matt Hazel was their sixth rounder. Man, damn, they had two fifths. Um, they had two fifths. Oh, give it to me. He was from Georgia. That's the last hint I'll give you. Oh man, Georgia fifth round. No, no, go ahead and give it to Arthur me. Arthur Lynch. Arthur Lynch. Oh, yeah, he was cut early. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I totally forgot about Arthur Lynch. So you have Deion Sims, 2013 fourth-round pick. The Dolphins have never selected a first-round tight end. Cat, is there any percent chance that changes this year? You know, the only way I could see it happening is if – right now the Dolphins are picking 21st. So if um, – there's some mock drafts I've seen with, with Brock Bowers falling to pick 15 or, or to pick 18. I think it's really unlikely. Most people have him as the, like the top, their top 10 pick in the draft. If he were to fall into the teens and the Dolphins said, you know what, we're going to make this a one-person draft here, then I think 
it's possible, but I see very, very unlikely. Um, because look, I mean, it's it's going to be. Uh, I mean, if you're if you're a top fifteen pick at tight end, you, you're going to want to eat. And you got Tyreek Hill, you've got Jalen Waddle. You just can't. You don't have that many plays on offense. So I don't expect Brock Bowers to be a Miami Dolphin. I think that has more to do with just how good he is, right? I mean, we're sitting here saying if he falls to the teens, I don't know that Dolphins are going to even have that opportunity to trade up. I mean, kind of feels almost like the Jameer Gibbs thing last season. We're all sitting there like, oh, man, if he falls to this spot, maybe we'll go up and get him. But, um, yeah, I think I'm I think I'm with you, man. If this is, they want to make this a one-player uh, draft and they say, okay, we can bring Brock Bowers in, that's that missing piece in this offense. We'll figure out the offensive line. I mean, so be it. But I think there's a better chance they're going to trade down, which I think we'll talk about endlessly to the draft. There's probably a better chance they trade down than up. But if there was one player, it would probably be a Brock Bowers, right? Because this dude is is that guy as far as uh, tight end prospects is concerned. You instantly go back and look at uh, recent drafts. You had Dalton Kincaid selected in the first round last year, pick number 25. Sam Laporta, he went in the second round to the Lions, and he had an instant impact in Detroit. Uh, Michael Mayer, I I didn't hear too much about what he was doing with the Raiders uh, from Notre Dame. But then you have two guys come up later in the second round, Luke Musgrave and, and Luke Shoemaker. Packers and Cowboys, two guys who actually came in and had an instant impact as a rookie tight end. Cat. Is it kind of um, just lazy thinking to kind of get the impression that maybe tight ends are going to be able to hit the ground running a little bit more in the NFL now that they're bigger parts of the passing game? Can the Dolphins find one of those gems in the second round? Well, there's there's a couple things at play there. And, yeah, you're right. Sam Laporta, I mean, had one of the best rookie tight end seasons ever. I mean, 86 catches, 10 touchdowns, Pro Bowl player. Dalton Kincaid, 73 catches for the Bills. But the difference is with the Dolphins, they already have Jalen Waddell and Tyreek Hill who are going to eat up so many of those catches. And, you know, there was room for the Lions. You know, there was, you know, they had Amonra St. Brown and Jamison Williams was already suspended at that point. So no real number two guy. The Bills had Stefan Diggs, Gabe Davis was a maybe, and then nobody else. I mean, so... That, that's why I think that tight end, I would prefer to go the late round, you know, blocking developmental type of type of route if they did. I mean, and, and I'll say again, just like with the running back position, if you're telling me Durham Smythe, Julian Hill, and even a Tanner Connor or somebody who challenges them for that third tight end spot, if those are your top three guys at tight end, I'm okay with that with this type of roster. Nobody targeted tight ends fewer than the Miami Dolphins did last year. And that's such a great point, Kat, and I think that's where I find my biggest struggle. The Dolphins' offense kind of fell apart late last year, partially because, you know, you had Jalen Waddle dealing with injuries. Tyree Kill was banged up as well. How do you integrate other players when you have a system that's just so dedicated on two players? You had Durham Smythe third on the team, I think, with uh, 40-something receptions, while Miami targeted tight ends fewer than on the other team. You had Braxton Barrios play uh, six more games than Devon Achan, and I think they were tied in targets. How do you find that guy where, you know, you get to week 15, 16, where guys are starting to get a little banged up, and maybe Jalen Waddle and Tyree Kill can't be your one-two punch? It doesn't make sense to kind of invest in that third guy all year just to have him, you know, step up for two games on a maybe basis. But how do you kind of develop a safety blanket then? You know, the simple answer is I don't think you find that at, at the tight end position. If for the Dolphins, I mean, it's, you know, the Dolphins have never seemed to turn to the tight end position for the, for that type of guy. And Tua doesn't turn to that type of yep, player. Exactly. You know? 
So, I, I mean, that's why I look at some other players in this draft and think, you know, can you get a late round guy who might be able to offer a little bit more blocking ability uh, than, than that? And there's some interesting guys late in the draft. Like, uh, I mean, for example, uh, uh, Brevin Span Ford from Minnesota, somebody that I encourage everybody to look at. For, 6'7", 270, supposed to be a late-round guy. Didn't catch a lot of passes in Minnesota, but caught 42 in 2022. He caught 25 this past year, and he's a, he's an accomplished blocker. So if you're talking about a team where, you know, yeah, Julian Hill, who had, you know, played 360 snaps, and Tyler Croft, who played 63 snaps, somebody that can come in in the late rounds, get in there, and with his size and his play strength and his length can get in there, and and a challenge for that second or third tight end role. I he's somebody that I think the Dolphins should look at. The Dolphins have tried really hard to make that late tight end uh, thing. Elijah Higgins last year, everyone was pretty upset when um, he didn't make the the fifty three man roster, I believe, and he went to out to Arizona. Um, but also too, Julian Hill. What were your thoughts on him? Because it did seem like time and time again, Mike McDaniel was doing everything he could to make Julian Hill a thing. I think he had a fumble at one point. He was a solid black blocker, but it just seemed like there was just one thing that wouldn't click to push him into just being someone you could feel pretty comfortable about having out there. Yeah, I remember that uh, fumble that he had. It was against the Raiders because he had. A, I was really starting to get into him as a blocker. He looked. He, he looked like a caveman as a blocker. I mean, uh, just big, rugged, strong, and impressed the team enough where everything I heard was that Julian Hill, it was not even a consideration whether or not he would be on the team. He was always going to be on the team from really his first week of training camp. And that's impressive for a undrafted free agent out of Campbell. I mean, so that that's impressive. But then he gets on the field, He and then his second catch, um, he fumbles it and almost costs the Dolphins the game. So, but I think he's a good developmental guy. And those are the types of players that you look for at the tight end spot. Um, it, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard position position in the NFL draft to evaluate because this you're taking a 20, 21, 22 year old kid and you're having to uh, have him learn both receiver and offensive line at the same time. And that, that causes problems for those types of players where it's, it's, you know, that's where I prefer to go in the late rounds uh, for these guys for like, like, uh, you know, uh, a, a Brevin span forward. And also too, another guy is, uh, is a Jaheim Bell from, um, from Florida state. Jaheim Bell is somebody to keep an eye on. If you want to look at a, a previous Dolphins comparison, um, Charles Clay, you know, he's six two, two 244 pounds. So he doesn't have, a lot of size, but he can just flat out get open. I know Charles Clay was a running back fullback at Tulsa, but one ability he had, he had great hip turn and ability to just get open. He transferred from South Carolina to Florida State this past year. If he's available in the fifth or sixth round and you can slip him out there at that tight end position and he doesn't, you know, quite make sense compared to a, you know, slot guy like Cedric Wilson or, or, or Chase Claypool, but you can get him out there and he can just get open. Maybe that works for this team. I'd love this team to find it's Julius Thomas, just someone who isn't going to get targeted all the time. But man, those, those couple of years he had with Denver, I think he had 12 touchdowns in back-to-back seasons where he'd just be that monster in the red zone. And, and I think he was a solid blocker as well. Obviously Miami tried to make that a thing um, 
following the fact and it never worked. But uh, Josh, how are you feeling about the tight end of position? Yeah, I mean, I think I kind of agree with Kat where I, I like the what they have. I mean, they're these bits and pieces, right? They're these, uh, um, you know, tough, gritty players, so to speak. I think you're sitting here talking about Julian Thomas. I'm sitting here thinking that's Julian Hill, right? He's going to be that guy that catches those 12 touchdown passes um, this upcoming season. So we'll see where they go um, with that. But I'm okay if it's Julian Hill, Durham Smythe. It seems like they are too. And we can't forget Tanner Connor. I think he's probably still under contract. Correct me if I'm wrong, but he's a guy that they've been expecting to break out for years. Um, one name I want to throw out there since I am in Pennsylvania, I don't know if uh, Cap brought him up, but Theo Johnson, six foot six, 257 pounds. Um, he seems like a guy that's well-rounded. You know, he's not a guy that's going to wow you out of the slot like some of these other guys, or you know, he, he's capable of blocking. So he'd be one of those guys in the later rounds that I think could come in, you know, develop, and could be one of those guys that surprised us. So. Um, any thoughts on that, Cat? Oh, thoughts absolutely. In fact, that was the next thing I was gonna I was gonna get to here is uh, Theo Johnson and Jatavia Sanders from Texas are consensus the second and third best tight ends right now, and Jatavius or, or Jatavian Sanders is really projected to be a, a you know a mid to late second rounder at this point, and I like Theo Johnson almost more. And you know, you look at last year with Penn State. I mean. They're, they threw for about 2,800 yards last year on that offense. And so Theo Johnson never had more than 340 receiving yards. Well, no kidding, because Penn State doesn't throw the ball that much. But when you look at tight end, it's a traits-driven position. And Theo Johnson I've watched a lot of. And even though he never had more than 341 receiving yards, six, 260 pounds, only dropped two passes in college. And, you know, you're talking about somebody that – playing a position where he's a good blocker, he has good hands, he has good length, but did not play in an offense that allowed him to catch as many passes as Edutavian Sanders. So, yeah, I'm all about Theo Johnson, but the only problem with that is that the Dolphins don't have a pick between 55 in the second round and the fifth round. So if they can trade down, he he's going to be one of my favorite players in the draft. One of the interesting parts of the combine is it's an opportunity to hear from coaches and GMs what they're thinking about. We're oftentimes going to get a lot of fluff, but with that, we do pull out some interesting nuggets. So Joshua, you wrote a story on the Finsider for Wednesday that simply put, after listening to Mike McDaniel talk to the media at the combine, sounds like two is going to get the bag, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. I mean, we've come on here and I think even I have been sitting here saying, you know, um, I want to weigh out one way or the other. You know, I want to see him win these big time games in late December and early January. But let's be honest, it doesn't matter what we want. Right. When you look around the NFL, we saw Daniel Jones get paid big time money. You see it year after year, these quarterbacks um, that at least from an outside perspective, I would say two of those better than, you know, getting that bag. So um, I guess my biggest thing is a lot of people want him at this price or that price or or this thing and that thing. And I was just coming to the realization that, um, you know, whether it was what Chris, Chris Greer said or whether it was what Mike McDaniel said, you know, about um, they're working towards this deal one way or the other, whether we like it or not, Tua Tumalo is going to get that big contract. He's going to be the Dolphins quarterback for the foreseeable future. And I think the biggest thing we have to remember is I think that then ties, if it's not already happened, right, it then ties Mike McDaniel, Chris Greer, and Tua Tumalo together and um, – you know, they're going to ride or die together. Swing, sink or swim is what I put. So um, I think Spotrack is 50.4 million as the estimated number. Six years, 320 million or 302 million. I mean, you hear those numbers out loud. And I I mean, it ain't my money, but I'm still feeling a little bit queasy thinking. And that's coming from a guy that absolutely loves to a time. I love 4,624 yards led the league last year. Um, you know why he's going to get paid, but 
some people are just going to have to eat it. They're just going to have to live and die by it. 32 and 19 as a starter. So, um, yeah, Jake, I came to the realization throughout that presser, even before that, that like it or not, Dolphins are going to sign Tua Tagovailoa to a huge contract. And a lot of Dolphins Twitter, they're going to be crying, man. Let's be honest. Do you think, like, I've been thinking a lot about the concept of, like, a, a quarterback and a um, coach tied at the hip. Um, I, I instantly went to a situation where it kind of feels like that in Jacksonville with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. But but I kind of feel like, you know, it, it, it would reach a point where they'd say, all right, get, get out of here, Doug. We're going to find someone else for Trevor. Um, but you, you do feel that way about McDaniel and Tua because, I mean, it's been a, a great story to hear about how McDaniel relates with Tua, how the two talk with each other, how they've grown together. And McDaniel makes excellent points about how every offseason, Tua has one thing that he's, you know, really focused on improving. And every year he has come back better. And we can go back and see so many stats about how quarterbacks, their first win came when they were 27, you know, different things like that. They're winning Super Bowls in their 30s. That patience would be great, but I still wish there were a couple more games where Tua was just, like, kicking and screaming. I'm not saying to be Patrick Mahomes, just that, like, inevitability of just, like, we cannot give him any more time. He had some of those, especially against the Chargers. But late in the season when the Dolphins struggled, you were kind of just hoping for that one final reminder instead of having, like, this uh, entire just uh, winter of just sorrow after the way the season ended. But, but Josh, I guess this is me kind of digesting my thoughts here, but do you think that McDaniel and Tua are officially tied at the hip in that sense? Or do you think that McDaniels might've been someone, has he proven enough that maybe he should have a little bit of leeway? I mean, I, w- I won't see why he hasn't proven that because I mean, you've gone to the playoffs, what back to back, but at some point you need to get over that hump. I mean, I guess I see it as this, right? The, the whole contract situation with the dolphins at some point, we're going to need to completely nuke this thing and start over fresh. Right. So, um, for me, I, I do think they're tied at the hip at this point, and um, I'm interested to the way it goes. I'm, I'm intrigued to see if they can um, do what we have expected them to do for so many years. So I won't say they're necessarily like 100% tied at the hip, but I think when you come in here, build an entire offense around this guy, say that this is what you know what I can get of him, um, our window's now. So, yeah, I do think they're tied at the hip. Kat, would you say you're following in Josh's footsteps here that uh, McDaniel and uh, Tua are – quote-unquote, officially tied at the hip, especially if this extension comes to be? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think you have to be because – and it's not to say that dollars and cents-wise it's the right move long-term, but, you know, just projecting out five years, you know, if you take a look at the AFC, all right, in five years, Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, Joe Burrow, um, and Lamar Jackson are all going to be 32, you know, so my question becomes, OK, let's say the Dolphins extend contracts and basically go for broke over the next two years and then are screwed for the two after that. Mm-hmm. Is that the worst thing in the world? I mean, <laughs> is if from a risk reward standpoint, aren't you going to be in the same spot in five years if you don't do that? So that's that's where it becomes interesting. Usually I, I consider myself very salary cap conscious, but in this type of situation, I mean, I I feel like if the Dolphins are cap conscious, they're going to be in the same spot in five years. And the Dolphins, this this year is very unique because there was the uh, unscripted salary cap bump where an extra $15 million were added. The way the NFL is going, would you really be surprised in three years if there's just all of a sudden another burst like that where it's all of a sudden you get an extra $10, $15 million again where you could kind of sit there and reflect and be 
happy with the contract based on just how much the cap, the salary cap has gone up over recent years. Yeah, that might happen. I mean, uh, you know, I think with the, how the, how much money the NFL has made, that's enabled them to, you know, have the amount of money that they have. So I don't think you can expect on that bump, but Chris Greer has been around the league for a while. His, you know, his father was Bobby Greer, who was a, you know, front office guy with, with new England. So his family's been in the NFL for 30, 40 years. You know, you've got to think that he had an insight that, Hey, look, we can take this risk and push some money off into the future. And you have to ask yourself in this type of year, are you going to pull together every dollar that you have over the next year or two and, and put it toward this year and next year. And if it doesn't work, you rebuild from that point. Josh, uh, Chris Greer has been along for around for so long where it's super easy to take a highlighter and mark off every ridiculous thing he's done. But how do you feel he's equipped for a situation like this? The Dolphins, we you know we've said it so many times, man. They're thirty million over the salary cap. They have, I guess, uh, forty-four players under roster, the most in the entire league. Nobody's going to know this unit, this franchise, better than someone who's been there for like ten years. Yeah, I mean, I I don't want to say I have full faith in him or trust in him, but I don't know who I would, right? I joked on Aponte, but that's just all jokes. I mean, this is a situation that Chris Greer knew was going to come about. I mean, I heard Brian Cat, I heard Cat when I was walking away, you know, sitting here saying, "Is it a bad thing if you sit here and kind of max out all your you know resources and opportunities over these next few years?" And I don't think it is. You know, all the time I joke that um, you know our days are numbered, and I joke about that, but I just want to see this team win a Super Bowl. So if that's what it takes, if it takes you know laying out every resource we have and and max get out i'm all for that but um my faith in chris greer is probably at about a six i was gonna say a six or seven so can i just say 6.9 I, I have to say 6.9 right so um it's somewhere in there that i i kind of feel like he can do it but there's still that queasiness that says that's a tall task that he has to figure out and let's be honest man that entire offensive line needs to be built. I, i'm not gonna go through it again but yeah um we'll see we'll see what happens McDaniel also spoke at the combine about the fallout with Vic Fangio. He said, I'd be lying if I said I expected that during the season. I think it's important when the season ends for you to remove emotion and evaluate. Uh, He went on to say, Vic and I had extensive conversations that were healthy. Mutually, we decided that it was best to go separate ways. Cat, nothing super surprising there, but do you feel we've learned anything about this Vic Fangio-Mike McDaniel relationship in recent months? Because I don't think it was like a hostile work environment during the season or anything along those lines. No, I don't get that feeling either, but I pay more attention to the Dolphins' best defensive player, Jalen Ramsey. I mean, look, and it's not to say the players should run the show, but this is one of the best defensive backs over the last, you know, 10 years. And when he says that he was played incorrectly or he'll never forgive Vic Fangio for what he did, I mean, look, you can you can pick a side on that. And both guys could have their own point of view, but – um, look, if your best defensive player is not happy when he's been a six time pro bowler in the six, in the six years before he came here, that matters. So, and I, I, I'm, I'm happy with their selection of Anthony Weaver as defensive quarter. Cause I think he's a little bit more scheme versatile than I think Vic Fangio was willing to be. 
It's just a shame that a guy like Vic Fangio, you know, you have all, all these accolades and, you know, all these years of experience can't come in and see, you know, that Jalen Ramsey's that important. He's that guy. I mean, it almost seems like he was just stubborn to the point where, you know, um, all these cornerbacks are equal and I'm not going to take this guy's, you know, opinion over others. I mean, for me, I go back to that whole star position thing and just hearing how they kind of built almost a solar system around them. Like, that's what you want your defensive coordinator to do. Build a solar system around your star players and, um, I'm intrigued to see what Anthony Weaver is going to do. And I think Mike McDaniel is too. I mean, I think last time he wanted that big name, you know, that guy that he had experience with, um, that head coach on the defensive side of the ball this time, I think he was going out there and looking for someone um, that kind of felt the same way and had the same beliefs and was looking at the game from a similar scope. Cause um, I don't know that that was Fangio as much as um, at before last season, I may have thought. The one final thing McDaniel spoke about while at the combine, he was discussing the, decision to bring back Danny Crossman. Uh, he said that results are important and results aren't where they want them to be. They're also uh, wise. And he's the guy that's going to go and fix it and bring it to the standard. Uh, Danny Crossman, before he arrived in Miami with Brian Flores, he was actually the special teams uh, coordinator for the Buffalo Bills as well. He's 57 years old. He's someone who's been around the league for so long. However, Kat, how do you feel about uh, keeping Danny Crossman around? Uh, I preferred that he would have been fired and uh, a shame on Brian Flores in 2019 a for not keeping him as special teams um, coordinator. And I don't know if, if uh, him being assistant head coach was part of that conversation, but right, right now he's special teams coach with the saints and doing a great job and slash head assistant head coach. I wish that would have happened with the dolphins. We never had a complaint about special teams for 10 years. And now over the last two years, there have been 19 punt and kick returns for touchdowns in the NFL. And four of them have been by, by the Dolphins. So I don't take any stock into what Mike McDaniel says. Special teams isn't working well enough. Is it to blame for the team? Not necessarily, but that doesn't mean, I mean, bad is bad. So yeah, I, I, I wish he would have been fired. Yeah, I, th- I was going to say, I kind of feel like a cat trying to bring up a hairball, right? That's kind of what I think when I hear of uh, Danny Crossman at this point. I wish he would be replaced. I'm not going to sit here and say that we're special teams gurus. I know I'm not, but um, yeet Jake Bailey into the sun as well. But I, I thought there would be a change there. Um, intrigued that he stuck around through all these different regimes and wondering what he has on Mike McDaniel, what he's telling Mike McDaniel that has kept him around. Because like Cat said, you know, that outside Jason Sanders getting that money sign back, uh, that special teams unit has been very sad even you know when you look at the return game as far as Braxton Barrios and things like that so definitely thought there'd be an upgrade there this offseason Aaron Schatz the founder of DVOA we had him on the podcast during the season he brought up that the Dolphins were ranked 31st in special teams and he wrote an article for ESPN recently one maybe tough salary cut for each franchise what would you guys's idea be about or opinion I should say letting Jason Sanders walk to save some money. We were talking about it earlier with Jeff Wilson about how he only has a 1.5% of the cap hit, but you still want to get rid of someone like him. Jason Sanders is the only reason the Dolphins beat a team with a winning record this year. He was absolutely stellar in that Cowboys game. Um, but at the same time, with the questions the Miami Dolphins have with the salary cap, is keeping a you know a kicker making four-plus million dollars the best idea? Uh, you know, Sanders is – it should be straightforward with a kicker because either he's, he's good or he's bad. Jason Sanders at his best is an all pro. And we saw that uh, against the Cowboys and a few games here this past year, but his bad is really, really bad. And at the end of the day, 50 plus yard field goals 
he's been terrible on over the last, if you take the totality of the last three years. So um, if I had to make a choice, I, I'd say probably cut him, but I, I've seen his best and his best is one of the best in the league. So I could go either way on that. Yeah, recency bias. I got that money sign thinking in my head. You know, he's kind of what helped us clinch it. But um, correct me if I'm wrong, but there was a previous pod that we did, Jake, where we sitting there talking about different cap cuts. And I think Jason Sanders was one of those guys where we said you could fill that production or at least find a kicker elsewhere. I mean, some of the great college kickers, I mean, uh, some of those guys even go undrafted at this point. And there's always a veteran, you know, signing in to plug and play here and there. So, um, again, like what Jason Sanders brings there, especially – based on that last season, but you're saving $4 million with the cap situation we're in. I think you can use that money elsewhere. A little fan fiction to wrap up here. It just, just that got me thinking. Uh, could you imagine how different the season could have gone? Think back to week one. Um, the Dolphins, they, they, they went ahead with the touchdown late. Jason Sanders mixed the extra point to keep it a two-point game. How would the season have gone if the Chargers came back? We, we saw how disastrous their season was. Coach getting fired after a, a horrendous game against the Raiders. He probably was fired mid-game. How do you think the season might have changed if the Chargers go down and kick a field goal to win that game and we're all kind of staring at Jason Sanders after week one for the reason why um, uh, the Dolphins didn't escape L.A. with a win? Yeah, it would have been terrible. And the year before, I mean, I there were th- three or four games uh, I'll say two or three games. One was against the Bengals. One was against the Jets where Jason Sanders had a 45 to 50 yard field goal. And if he hits that, the Dolphins are winning and then misses. And now the Bengals have a short field or the Jets have a short field. And instead of going up, now you're down two scores. And that's that's happened several times. So his bad, again, like I said before, his, his bad is bad. His good is is really, really good. But overall, I would end up cutting him. Yeah, and if he would have done that back then, I mean, we would have all been chanting, fire Jason Sanders. He probably we would have lined up in front of uh, Hard Rock Stadium, you know, with pickets and things like that. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm okay if we have to get rid of him. Cat Houts, it is a blast to always talk with you guys. The Combine is here, so stay tuned to the podcast. Stay tuned on the Finsider as we are going to keep you updated with every single Dolphins news nugget note whatever we can find we'll be sure to share with you guys that's all the time we have today thank you so much for tuning in to another dolphins podcast we will talk to you next time and more importantly